Welcome back, everybody, to the Reconnected Podcast. This season, we've been talking a lot about the journeys of excellence. And there's something that many of us seek to find along the way of our journey of excellence. And perhaps we hope we'll be there at the end, like a pot of gold at the other side of the rainbow. And that thing is happiness. You know, we all seek happiness in our lives. It's human nature to want to feel happy. And, you know, certainly in the mental health world, we have people come to us hoping to feel better and to feel some sort of, you know, happiness, whatever that means to the person. And the questions that we have when we think of happiness is, is it something we can buy? Is it something we can strive for? Can we grab it? There's been philosophies, theories, anecdotes, clinical experiences, even research that dives into answering these questions about what is happiness and how do we achieve it in our lives? And no matter how you look at it, there's one thing that seems to be consistently true and wherever you're looking. And, and that is that on our journey towards excellence, there's really no guarantee that you're going to feel happy along the way or even at the end of the road. Now, happiness really is not a guarantee in life, regardless of one's circumstances, regardless of one's successes, regardless of one's uh, good fortune. And so it really begs the question that this episode is going to tackle. If happiness is not guaranteed in one's journey towards excellence, then what can we prioritize instead of just this idea of happiness? Or better yet, can we expand what it means to be happy? And only relying on one way of being fulfilled in life is not likely enough. And so we're going to try to expand what it means to be happy and, and to broaden and deepen that idea a bit more. Because if we're really focusing on one idea of happiness, it could lead us to feel trapped, disappointed, weakened, and so forth. So in this episode, we're going to discuss psychological concepts, personal experiences in our work with individuals. And some of the ideas will come from areas of positive psychology, other areas of psychology, positive youth development. Um, you know, some wonderful people in the field like uh, Seligman, Csikszentmihalyi, Carol Riff, and, uh, and others in the field. So really looking forward to this discussion, Lex. Yeah, thank you. And before we get started, I kind of want to break down this word excellence because it sounds like a lofty goal, right? I want to be excellent. But really, when you when you break it down and when I work with strategic learners, it's about like, what are the roots there? What are the parts of the word that help us figure out its meaning? And really, when you break it down, excellence is about excelling, right? Being able to be good at something, to be able to, to find your passion, work towards mastery, and really, you know, feel like you have some agency in what you're doing. So when we talk about excellence, it's not this lofty ideal of Things need to be perfect, right? As we talked about in the perfectionism episode, it's more about are we kind of bringing all the things together that we're good at, that we enjoy, that feels purposeful to be a part of our life, that be is really what, what we do and what we embody as we navigate through this life of ours. Definitely, yeah. And, and you mentioned perfectionism. And I can tell you, sometimes I work with people who have perfectionism. And when we talk about what's going to bring you happiness in your life, and we think about that. And I got to tell you, sometimes they, they want to perfect being happy. <laughs> and that's really counter, uh, counterproductive because, you know, there's actually been some research that I dove into uh, during my graduate training around this area. You know, one thing that did stand out to me is that there's been some research that the more people kind of latch on to this idea of I have to be happy, I have to be happy and attached to it, um, it, it really kind of backfires. And so this episode, we want to we want to expand what it means to be happy and, and expand the idea. So, you know, why is this important? Look, I mean, everybody on earth is vulnerable because we're human and, and we can deal with mental health challenges 
anybody's vulnerable. There's no group of people. There's no individual that's, you know, going to be immune to having mental health challenges. We all have, let's start with predispositions. Everybody's predisposed to something. It can manifest in different ways. You know, you can have too little resources. You can have too much support, too little support. You know, mm -hmm. what does it mean to have too much support? You can feel like maybe you're being controlled mm -hmm. in some ways and you're not kind of developing your own trust in yourself or you can have too little support where you feel like you're just kind of drowning. Health issues can affect literally anybody. Anybody could be prone to health issues, traumas, substance use. You know, you're in the educational world. You know, there's diversity in, in people's experience with education, learning mm -hmm. disabilities or not feeling like you're a good fit in the school system in which you're in or, you know, your strengths are not being acknowledged or your weaknesses are not being, you know, understood. Loneliness is an epidemic and in society nowadays, you know, a lot of people talk about that. You can even be with people and still feel lonely. Mm -hmm. Like that's a, you know, that's a scary thing when like, you know, loneliness is, is like a plague in some ways. And as much as we're connected through social media, you look at the research and loneliness has increased and that's a strange irony, you know? Yeah. It's like we're alone together more than ever. Yeah. That's the book by the MIT researcher. Oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah. Um, Turkle, Shari Turkle. Yeah. Yeah, Shari Turkle. She does wonderful, you know, writing on this topic. So it, that's a great foundation for us to work from. And do we have like 20, 30 hours to talk about it all? <laughs> People have been discussing this forever, right? Yeah. And, and you know, we're going to keep it concise. But I also want to, before we really dive into all this, establish a caveat that we're not here to talk about how to become happy either, mm -hmm. right? We really want to kind of break down this idea of we just need to be happy to be well, because I think that is a, a huge, you know, misconception in our world. And, and I'm going to bring it back to what I know best is that a lot of educators and a lot of parents and caregivers that I work with will ultimately say, you know, I'll ask them the question, you know, what are your goals? What do you want for your child? What, what are we really working towards? What's the ultimate goal? And a lot of times they'll say, I just want them to be happy. And I, I often will press pause and kind of get them to dig a little deeper into that. Because what is happiness? Sometimes happiness is just like going through life coasting, right? Or like well, it's, it's, it's unclear what's going to make a child happy, right? And it's, it's, not a, it's not like an A plus B equals C. Yeah. Right. And I think that's that's really what I'm trying to get to is is helping them to understand and unpack what happiness is because it's not one thing and it's not like a, a switch that you can turn on for anybody to feel quote unquote happy. There's so many factors that are involved and that's really what we're going to discuss and dive into. But I want us to just be careful about how we throw these terms around. And, you know, I, I've said this so many times throughout my career and since I learned about it in graduate school, around uh, Jerome Kagan's work about emotions. He has this beautiful book of what is emotion. And he talks about how in the English language, especially, we don't have enough terminology to really discuss and describe the intricacies of emotion that we, we often fall in the all or nothing mentality where we're like, are we either happy or sad? We are either depressed or we're content. Like there's no in-between or gradient levels of emotion that we frequently use in our vernacular, at least in the English language, to mm -hmm. talk about emotion. Mm -hmm. And I think that's so debilitating in our own lives and for our mental health too. So when we think about happiness, it's the same as being smart, right? I've talked about smart and smart goals before on the podcast that if you're not smart, then what are you? 
you know, there's a lot of terms that different learners might use, but it's the absence of being smart. So if you're not happy, what mm. are you? It's the absence of happiness. Yeah, I, I love what you're saying. And, and it's so, uh, I think it's such an accurate way of describing this. And as a therapist, the, one of the best parts of therapy, right? People can come to me and they want to feel better. And, and, and they're, again, the A plus B equals C. Let's say C is feeling better, feeling happy, whatever that means. And, and maybe a, a and B, let's say, are, you know, developing relationships or feeling better about yourself. Mm. Those, those are, you know, tried and true ideas of what can make people happy. But I'm not just going to say to them, hey, A plus B equals C. So go live out the formula. Mm. My job as a therapist is to understand there's, there's maybe a lot more that goes into that for that person, first of all, for self-discovery, mm-hmm. to understand what gets in the way, what helps with these aspects, A plus B equals C. And it could be A times two <laughs> plus B divided by three. To the nth degree. <laughs> to the nth degree, right? <laughs> there, there's just, there, there's way more to the formula. Yeah, yeah. And therapy, it's one of my favorite and most meaningful parts of therapy is to get to know the person, their life, their story, their personality, aspects of what makes them who they are, that that A plus B equals C is way more intricate and way more sustaining for themselves over the long term that they can develop this insight, awareness, and growth that it's not just, you know, go do A plus B equals C, but it's uh, it's much more meaningful in that way. And that's what this episode is going to be. We're going to talk about a lot more that goes into, you know, understanding yourself and what makes you can feel fulfilled in life. Yeah. And I like to talk about, you know, not even the equals something, because depending on the day, depending on the context, depending on the weather, sometimes mm-hmm, it mm-hmm. might determine what that outcome is. And I always say like, what are we aiming towards? And it might be a goal, but we really need to be specific and more articulate about what our goals are because it might not be happiness. It might be contentedness. It might be fulfillment. It might be purpose. It might be joy, or it might just be like, I'm okay. And sometimes it's okay just to be okay. You know, I work with so many individuals across the lifespan who, when things are going okay, they like question themselves. They're like, wait, why isn't this terrible? Why isn't this a tragedy? Why isn't this a fire I need to be put out? Or why don't I feel intense enthusiasm and excitement and, and pleasure and pride? And I'm like, well, sometimes we don't get to those extremes. And it's actually better not to live in those extremes because we don't have, you know, the cortisol levels going up and down with our stressors and all the different things that can impact us that are not only impacting how we navigate through a day, it's impacting our brains and our bodies and the way we show up to things, the way we perform. There's so many different factors that are involved that, you know, we'll tackle in other episodes. But just to be mindful that, you know, sometimes it's okay to be okay. Because so often, and I hear this more often than not, a lot of people are feeling like they're not okay right now. And sometimes we need to not, you know, aim for this unrealistic ideal of like, I need things to be perfect or I need to be happy or I need to be just joyful all the time because that's not reality. We're we're all human. We all make mistakes. We're all going to have good days and bad days. Mm -hmm. And if we expect that things are just going to be joyful and happy all the time, we're going to be surely disappointed more often than not. Totally. And I've worked with people from all walks of life over the course of my training and professional career. And, you know, people can have little to nothing and and struggle with how they feel. And people with as many resources as you can ever imagine can also struggle for different reasons, right? You can have everything 
and feel, let's say, pressure to somehow live up to expectations or pressure that you should be happy because mm. you have everything. Mm-hmm. And people who don't have much, they can feel, you know, a sense of misery or despair or, or loneliness or whatever it is that maybe they're not feel, fulfilling their potential because they don't have the resources to do it. There, there are different reasons for, you know, how people can feel. And, and again, like you said, I can't just say, you know, on this podcast, like, go, you know, do this one thing, like be grateful more often. And mm-hmm. that's always going to help everybody at right. every point in time. Yes, Gratitude certainly has been proven to be very important for people. But, you know, we, the purpose of this episode is to not just say one thing and that's it for everybody at all given times. So I, I really appreciate what you said. Yeah, and there's that dialectic of like, you can be grateful and still feel pretty crappy, right? Mm-hmm. And it, the gratitude might be, you know, minimized in that moment where you have a, a something that's not really going well and it's okay to understand that. And what I often say is that sometimes those challenges, the things that don't feel great that often turn into complaints or sadness or frustration, sometimes those are messages and signals that are helping us to say, wait, wait, something needs to change here. What can I do to to shift and change my approach to make it feel a little more reasonable, a little bit more doable? But sometimes those challenges are what propel us to do greater things. So, Let's talk about a couple areas, Lex, you know, besides this idea of like you're happy or you're not, let's, let's break that dichotomy down. Mm-hmm. So instead of just you're happy or not, let's talk about, let's take five main categories. And there's been a lot of people in the field of psychology that have talked about this in different ways. Um, we're just going to talk about these five uh, areas. And I talked about the researchers before. Um, so positive emotions, right? There's a lot of different positive emotions. That's one of them. The other one is meaning. Meaning could be anything to anybody, right? The way we create meaning in life is is up to the person. Growth, we'll talk about growth being an important part of life. Engagement and flow, being in the moment and, and truly being engaged in what you're doing. And then the fifth one, just a sense of security. We'll talk about that in terms of relational security and psychological and even physical safety. But um, let, let's kind of talk through five of those areas, positive emotion, meaning, growth, engagement, and security. Okay, so we've got growth, safety, and... Positive emotion, meaning, growth, engagement, and a sense of security. Right, so in um, the episode with Rosie, we talked a little bit about Scott Barry Kaufman's model and thinking about it as a a way to elaborate on Maslow's work and thinking about the hierarchy of needs for humans in general Um, and thinking about that sailboat model. And a lot of the pieces of the actual boat are related to feeling safe and connected and feeling like we can find some stability in our life. Mm-hmm. So that stability and safety part, especially in my work, I bring it back to uh, feeling comfortable in a space where speaking specifically about the work that I do every single day is thinking about learners and individuals and learning environments. And when we think about the sense of safety and community and feeling a part of something, you know, each individual wants to show up feeling like they're going to be understood, they're going to be seen, and that they're going to be recognized and supported in some way, right? There's no way that any educator or any student walks into a learning environment and could actually predict exactly what every single student has experienced leading up to that moment, Mm -hmm. right? We don't have a sense of who they are, what they've 
gone through that morning, that night, that week, you know, there could be a number of different things that might be happening. Mm -hmm. There's a huge issue around food insecurity that I think is more invisible in a lot of school systems and especially in the United States than should be. Mm -hmm. There's a huge issue around stress and potential traumas that might be happening in a family or in household. Mm -hmm. Um, Access issues. Access issues, you know, I'm not even talking about specific learning and access to learning yet. I'm just talking about all these ecological issues that are impacting a learner. And when I talk about each individual, I'm really thinking about all the systems that surround them. You know, I really, I really work through Bronfenbrenner's model um, of thinking about systems theories and how they either support and lift up community members or sometimes they can bring them down. Mm-hmm. So we we got to just always think about all these different systems that are functioning around an individual, whether we manipulate, intervene, or are mindfully making shifts. There's all this stuff happening around each individual that we often don't have a lot of control over. Mm -hmm. So when we have all these influences that are coming together, you know, we have to think about how that's impacting each person and each learner. We were just watching a movie called Champions. Mm -hmm. And what a beautiful movie. Mm -hmm. Uh, Woody Harrelson was part of it. And the premise of the movie was a basketball coach. And the coach was just obsessed with, you know, rising to the, the upper echelons of, uh, of the NBA ranks of coaches. And, and he was like a genius as a coach. Mm-hmm. And he was very respected for what he was capable of. And um, he was an assistant coach at the time. And they had, he was trying to, you know, show and prove how much he knew to coach his team and the head coach shut him down mm-hmm. and, and and ultimately he got fired for what he did because he was very reactive in the movie and i don't want to you know spoil the movie for everybody but uh, it's important to, to point this out and the head coach said to him look you're a great coach you're you're one of the you know you're like a savant at being able to coach basketball but you don't know anything about your players mm. you have no relationship with them mm-hmm. And I am going to spoil the movie, but you should still watch it. <laughs> and what happens is um, he ended up uh, getting in trouble with the law and was he had to go and, and um, do community service. And it turned out to be one of the biggest silver linings of his life because he was able to coach a group of uh, just amazing individuals, young adults who uh, had Down syndrome and other disabilities. And um, he had to learn within himself how to relate how to connect, how to experience emotion and, and how to really, f- I'm getting the chills think about it because mm-hmm. it's just mm-hmm. an incredible it's movie. A beautiful story. It, it just is amazing. And, um, you know, uh, just watch the movie, you know what I'm talking about. Yeah, and you think about access and visibility. These are all individuals and actors who experience, you know, their disability every day and they got the opportunity to showcase these incredible aspects of themselves. So I hope I hope everybody watches the movie to be quite honest because I think it, it it helps to you know build a sense of safety for more people as we understand humanity because there is so much variability and there are so much differences among us all. And but, everyone's important, Lex. And and you know, Chikse Mahai who who wrote the book Flow. Mm-hmm. And I I've, I've been you know, I was in grad school. I, I read these books that really stood out to me and I I just dove into outline them, try to pull out the, the, the major aspects of it. And one of the things that he said in his book is, it just rings true to me, you know, relationships, he said, any type of relationship can manifest the best 
and the worst of times. Yeah, such a great quote. How true is that? Relationships are so intertwined into every aspect of our life. And and, um, it's really important that, you know, we do understand the significance of relationships, the power of relationships. Yeah. And to prioritize them because it's not always talked about within the, the scope of society. I mean, I'm thinking back to like the, the 2000s, the early 2000s. And, you know, society certainly has become very conflictual. And, you know, there there's some reasons for that. You know, you have to kind of speak up when you feel like there's injustices and so forth. Um, and, you know, to feel anger is not a bad thing if it's, you know, moving towards a purposeful, meaningful goal that's going to help you know, help solve a problem, help to make things better for for people. Um, but I'm, I'm thinking back to like the early 2000s. Do you remember when reality TV started to really take off around the early 2000s? <laughs> this is just my point of reference. But what I remember is like MTV's like the shows where uh, everybody was put in a house down at the beach or something. It wasn't even Jersey Shore. It was before that. It was back in the yes. early, the late 90s, I think. And, and look... I, no judgment to people who watch that. If you get entertainment, like TV is basically entertainment. They're doing that for entertainment, right? right They're not trying right. to teach moral lessons about life. But like, I can definitely see a progression that the more that became entertainment, the more that became glorified, that people just fighting with each other mm-hmm. and just hating on each other. And there's no, resol- you know, I don't watch them to know if there's resolution or not, but I'm sure people don't, you know, are not paying attention to the resolution as much as they are to the drama mm-hmm. and the intensity and, and the anger and the hatred and all that stuff. So, you know, um, all that, all this is to say that, you know, just let's, maybe it's important to pull back from the way that, you know, the media is trying to portray relationships and, and get back to the basics of what makes a meaningful, important relationship that maybe you're not going to see on TV because yeah. it's not, it's not, you can't sell, you know, they don't sell that. You get movies like the movie Champions and, and you can, you can revisit how important that stuff is. Yeah. There's, there's like four or five things that you brought up that I We'll touch upon maybe one or two of them. Number one is important relationships. It probably wouldn't be an episode unless we brought up mom in some way because I think that when I was in college, and I've said this before to some of the students I work with, that's probably when I really felt most connected to books, right? And I think mom might have given me flow in the early 2000s. Hmm. And it was a book that just, it really just made sense and resonated with me. I didn't even know that this was the path I was going to go on professionally, but it just made so much sense about really kind of finding passion and leaning into some challenge to be able to find the proper level of support and challenge to help you to get into the things you do. And, you know, maybe she recognized that in me when I was younger, but thinking about relationships and how sometimes, you know, one little thing can change a trajectory, right? Like her giving me that book and me actually connecting to it and loving reading it probably pushed me into this developmental psychology world where I have a huge focus on positive development and and positive youth development in particular. Mm -hmm. But, you know, these relationships are so important, but I want to expand it not just to like personal human relationships, but also our relationships with work, our relationships with time, our relationships with our space, our relationships with, you know, how we just navigate life. You know, sometimes we get stuck indoors because we're so guided by technology where we have so many missing pieces that we lose our a, a part of our relationship with nature and the outdoors and the environment. And that moves us, I think, closer to this idea that you're mentioning about 
being conflicted because we're not experiencing this range of what life has to offer. Yeah, and what life what has life to has offer to, yeah. for sure. You know, like, you know, I talk to parents and I talk to children because uh, I work with both in my practice. And, you know, in life now, you can kind of just be a robot. You just go through the motions mm-hmm. and, and you're just kind of, you know, going through life on automation. And it, and it prevents bonding. Mm-hmm. And look, I know, you know, even Chiksay Mahai did this research where he, he would ping people throughout the day to see what they're feeling. It's like the mm-hmm. coolest research ever done. He's mm-hmm. like, randomly, let me just ping you. Like, <laughs> let me just ping you, you know, when you're cooking or when you're, you know, just uh, watching TV, when you're bored, when you have nothing to do, when you have a lot to do, when you're focused, conscious. And, and you know, one of the things he found is that, you know, people are, are least happy when they're alone um, and when they have nothing to do. And, and not to say that like people's lives are super busy nowadays, not everybody, but like certainly, but what I'm saying here is that like, think more critically about how to bond with each other. Mm-hmm. And because it, it's not always evident and for not being creative about that, like when's the last time like a kid and their child just went for a walk or, you know, I'm talking to someone who, you know, if you're not bonding with your family, like over dinner, or you don't have time to like really have a chat, just change the context. In the, in the episode about emotions, I brought this up a lot. Change the context to change your feelings mm-hmm. and think outside of the box. Like, let's go do something special that can help us to bond because just going through the daily motions is not doing it. It's just not enough. If you can't pull yourself out and be more present during going through the motions. Yeah, I talk about this a lot in terms of executive function because sometimes we need to take ourselves out of the environment and press pause and shift things and shake them up a little bit. Because oftentimes when you're stuck on a challenge or a problem, you can get so stuck and fixated that you lose track of everything else. And sometimes that's good if we get into this sense of flow that Chiksa Mahali describes as, you know, I call them flowments. <laughs> or sometimes you lose track of time. But, you know, other times we just get stuck and we, we don't actually move from this. We don't pivot. And a lot of times this is our cognitive frigidity and going back to executive function, it, it limits our, our cognitive flexibility that allows for us to make changes. So sometimes, like you say, we have to change the context. So I often will say to people I work with, you know, if you're sitting at your desk all day and you get stuck, don't sit there longer. Mm-hmm. That's probably not going to do it for you. It's just going to make you frustrated. You're mm-hmm. going to feel a whole range of emotions. You're going to start to feel bad for yourself and question your abilities. Sometimes you just need to step away and zoom out. And and what you're saying that a lot of people are having a hard time doing these days is really executive function. But it's so closely related to emotion, as we've talked about so many times, that, you know, our emotions kick up either, you know, negative or positive emotions, not even that they're negative and positive, but that will bring us up or possibly bring us down. And then from there, it shuts down our systems to be more flexible, more strategic. Let's take that example and bring it back to relationships. If you don't Mm -hmm. cultivate your relationships, let's say with your teacher, with your coach, with your family, your siblings, your your friends, like you're going to be, you're going to feel stuck. And I can't tell you how many times I work with people who feel stuck because uh, they feel stuck and be able to open up to somebody mm-hmm. and to be vulnerable and to say, hey, like this is what's going on because A, they're afraid of being judged. B, yeah. they're afraid of burdening someone else, their their family or their friends. I don't want to be a burden. I don't want to be a burden. Um, they're afraid of the type of reaction that they're going to get. They, you know, might, you know, create kind of a, they feel like it's going to become more stressful. So 
Now, so much of relationships is, is communicating. And so therapy is just a, such a great way to slow things down and to figure out what's the most effective way to communicate, to build the relationship, to build Mm -hmm. self-advocacy and to get the help that you need and to support. Um, because if you don't have that, you know, the relationship is like a, it's a missed opportunity. It's like a, you know, it's experience and like different relationships are going to mean different things. You know, that's another thing too. You said that last episode with perfectionism a couple episodes ago that, you know, not everything has to be so dichotomous. Like this is my best friend. This is not my friend, or this mm -hmm. is the best relationship. This is the worst relationship. Different relationships will give you different things mm -hmm. and vice versa. It's a reciprocal thing. So, um, you know, it's important to think of it that way and not just be so dichotomous. You know, you may get support and you, how many ways can you get help in your life mm -hmm. and how many ways can you help other people? And when you get stuck in this perfectionism idea of like what it means to help and be helped and to support and to be supported, you know, it really kind of, uh, it, it limits the expansion of what a relationship could become. I can give examples, but there's, there's millions of them. Yeah. I, I mean, I think this idea of expansion is so important because we don't need to stay exactly where we are, especially if it doesn't seem to be working for us. Um, you know, there's, there's a lot of work in mental health around, you know, not just staying in your own thoughts sometimes we can get lost in our own thoughts, especially if we have executive function challenges or an emotional reactivity that doesn't allow for us to access those, those skills, those cognitive skills mm -hmm. to allow for us to be flexible. But, you know, sometimes we need this idea of behavioral activation to be able to get out of our heads and into our bodies. And sometimes mm. that's as simple as writing things down. Mm. And I think that we as a society, and I'm guilty of this sometimes too, is mm -hmm. What are what are our actual goals? What are our expectations for ourselves, for our relationships, for what we're looking for in our lives? Sometimes we we kind of tap into or attach to other people's expectations for ourselves mm -hmm. or for the relationships that we we lose track and we lose sight of ourselves. And that's where I think resentment grows and frustration. And you didn't even tap into the idea of partnerships, right? Romantic partnerships, because that's a whole nother episode that we'll talk about yeah, at a different point a in time. But you have to talk about it. And I think people have such a fear of being vulnerable and asking for help. I've seen that. And I would say that, you know, we have a mental health epidemic. We might even say we have an executive function and attention epidemic. Mm -hmm. But also, you know, we have a, a advocacy epidemic where people are afraid to ask for help. Or sometimes they're doing too much asking for help where they're not relying or, or building confidence in themselves. Some of your best relationships can come in those contexts where totally. you are opening up and, you know, people are getting to know you. I hear this a lot from people I work with. It's like, oh, they could never understand me. Mm. You know, sometimes when you're struggling, you feel like nobody's going to understand. Nobody, and, and turns out, you know, people can, they can try and, and the, the communication can happen. And, and through that understanding can come a you know, a very meaningful relationship. Um, this happens a lot with adolescents, right? I was just talking to someone who's like, you know, when you're younger as a child, you're not really conscious too much of like thinking on a higher level, but as you get into high school and stuff, your relationships deepen. Yeah. And it turns out, I'm pretty sure there's research on this, that people, as they become adults and they grow older, their most formative memories and their their keenest memories actually are in high school. Yeah. And I think that's probably the reason because it's the first time you become more conscious and aware. Yeah. And it's about the neurodevelopment too, right? That's when a lot of the frontal lobe 
um, systems are starting to come online and develop a little bit more formally. And that solidifies some of that information for you. But, you know, there's that idea of nostalgia that's really important. But I think what comes from that is this sense of self and, and trust that you can experience joy right? Because it's been there before. And it's a really nice thing to go back to. Mm-hmm. And we've talked a lot about connection, but in, in everything we're talking about here, I'm hearing those other, you know, categories that you discuss with, with security, with connection, with safety, um, because we really want to make sure that, you know, we have a little bit of intimacy, which I think we're losing in relationships that, you know, a lot of things are very superficial. It's like the whole social media world. You know, you only see the surface level of what most people's lives are. It's what they want to show you Mm -hmm. instead of what's really happening. Mm -hmm. So let's get to this idea of positive emotions, right? So Mm -hmm. we talked about changing the context. We talked about, um, you know, doing what you actually enjoy. And I think that, you know, I think sometimes we can lose touch with what we actually care about. You know, Chiksay Mahai did this, uh, again, that interesting research to find out when people are happy and, and enjoying and they're engaged in what they're doing. Um, wait, wait, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to yeah, spoiler yeah. alert for a minute because it's not when things are easy that people find the most enjoyment and fulfillment through his, his research and work. Yeah, so he, <laughs> yeah, it was interesting. He he found that when people are really concentrated at on something, mm-hmm. that and there, here's a little nuance though. They they weren't necessarily happy, but they had really good self esteem. Yeah, and and, and to, to concentrate on what you're doing and to feel like you're getting feedback and you're you know you understand what you're doing or you know and so forth. And actually, he also found that when people are in play and maybe they have a little bit less concentration, but when they're in this idea of play, that they are happy. So. All this to say, both things are important, you know, to focus and to concentrate and to feel like we're engaged in what we're doing for the sake of doing it can really help us to feel good about ourselves, to feel fulfilled, to feel present and engaged. And also to have that idea of just play, right? Like when I'm sitting on the piano, I'm just like making stuff up. I'm not like, you know, trying to, uh, you know, to to impress somebody or something like that. I'm just playing around and seeing what comes from it. Mm -hmm. So both things are important. You know, so much in life is multiple things are important at the same time. You know, we talked about positive and uh, let's quote unquote say negative emotions, right? We need both. If we Mm -hmm. don't feel sad, we'll never know what's important to us. Mm -hmm. I had such a wise uh, high school student just today. You know, he's, I talked to him about, I'd say, we're going to do this episode on this topic. What do you think? Mm -hmm. And uh, these kids, you know, really impressed me. He said, Mm -hmm. more often than not, he said, if you're happy all the time, it loses its value and what it means to be happy. Mm. And you don't really appreciate it. Well said. Beautiful, right? I mean, just, just very insightful. And it's true. And if you're not sad, you don't know what is important to you. Because, you know, um, uh, what's that uh, just song? You're nobody till uh, somebody lets you down. <laughs> <laughs> Something like that. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I'm not, I'm not suggesting people should uh, feel pain. You know, Andy Grammer actually wrote this song. It's interesting. He's like, he wishes his daughter to experience pain, but to also understand the pain and to work through it. Yeah. And he's not, you know, it's not masochistic for him to say that. He's, he's expressing the importance of being able to go through what brings you pain in life. And, you know, um, those of you who watch Ted Lasso, you know, it's kind of a a funny show, but there's some wisdom in it. And I think one of the best things he says in the show is we're going through pain, but we're going through it together. Yeah. And I think think, um, as a society, we lose track of that because we are so insulated, even though we're so connected. And I'm going to 
you know, just go back and say, we're grateful for you playing around and noodling around on the piano because hopefully some of you have enjoyed watching Rafa sing along to Jerry's piano takes. But but that's also a time where, you know, we can experience relaxation. We can experience a little bit of joy in those moments of creativity. And I'm going to bring it back to skills as I tend to. It's usually when we feel most comfortable and confident is when we feel like we know what to do. We're clear on our goals. We have the resources and we have the skills to be able to do the work that we're set out to do. And that really is when we start to feel good about ourselves. And and I think that's really what gets lost in, we've talked about this many times in the podcast, lost in setting out to reach a goal to become the best at whatever you're doing, thinking about that point of excellence, that excellence and being the best, being the GOAT doesn't just come online right away. It takes so much effort. It takes a lot of challenges, takes a lot of ups and downs. Sacrifice. A lot of sacrifice, discipline, building skills, because they don't just come online. Even executive function skills, we're not just born with them, Mm -hmm. right? They grow through our experiences and interactions with the environment, with others, with ourselves internally, what our narrative systems are to help us to be able to grow these skills. Mm -hmm. All of it comes together. It's all connected. It's not just one thing. And it's not just going to happen because we want it to. We really need to think about the process. And in, in order to take on challenges, we also need to rest. You know, in the class that I taught this year, I really emphasized and, you know, brought up Mary Imordino and her colleagues' work on the fact that, you know, rest isn't laziness. Rest is really supportive of us doing hard work, taking on challenges, building skills, replenishing our bodies and our minds to be able to tackle the things that we're aiming for, to find whatever we are aiming to excel at. Yeah, you know, I hear this from perfectionistic uh, individuals I work with is that they almost feel guilty when they're resting. Mm. And this is an important point I, I, I jotted down that I wanted to make is that when you're going through life reactively, you, you're really limiting the amount of emotions that you can feel, positive emotions, typically just relief. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. these high school students are just like, one of them at one point said, I've been trying to get into college since I came out of the womb. Yeah. You know, there's so much pressure to be able to get into the best college, the right, quote unquote, right college. And so when when you're living reactively and you're not living more intentionally about how you want your life to be, you, you're only really feeling a lot of times relief. You're not being able to expand and to feel joy, to feel curiosity, playfulness, awe, inspiration, courage, gratitude, fun, you know, all that stuff that could be part of your life. But you know, and that's why I think when kids, uh, these high school students I work with or college or whoever it is, when you're relaxing, it's there's like a guilt attached to it because mm. you're, you're not, you don't feel like you did what you did on purpose. You're just treading water trying to yeah. survive it. And when you feel like it's more intentional, this is where your work comes into. And my work is like, make your life more intentional, mm-hmm. you know, and, and by doing so at the end of the day or at the end of the week or at the end of whatever project, you can rest easy because you feel like, okay, you know, um, maybe it wasn't perfect, but, you know, I, I, I really try to do this the way I felt was the right way to do it. And um, I tried my best and I utilized my resources and, and I, feel, I can feel content. Like I gave, it, I gave it my best shot based on, you know, the way I went about it. It doesn't mean everything has to be completely ordered and, and, and too structured where it's like, you know, kind of uh, 
suffocating. But for for sure, being more intentional, I think, uh, is important, even with your friendships, right? Like, hey, and your relationships with people, let, let's go do something we haven't done before yeah. instead of just like playing video games every day. Like, let's go for a Going bike out ride. to have a drink or going for dinner, like mix it up. Anything. Like yeah. when I hear, you know, high school students tell me that they like went on a rope swing into a pond, I'm like, I don't hear that much anymore. <laughs> and maybe, you know, maybe I have a biased sample or something, but um, I, I love to hear stuff like that, you know, old school fun. Yeah, I think it depends on where you live and which part of the country or world that you're in. But, you know, across the board, I've been hearing it from people, you know, kind of globally. I have a smaller sample size also, but from those who I talk to, you know, life is very structured. And I keep reminding families and students alike that, the reason why there's so much homework and so many after school programs and so many things that you can do after school is because one, parents and caregivers are working more than ever to make ends meet, yes. right? Yeah. Bless them for being able to work as hard as they are and to sustain things. Mm -hmm. But also, you know, a lot of those programs were developed to keep kids out of trouble, mm. right? And and if they're not in programs, I'm noticing that they're on technology, kind of just mindlessly doing random things. Which, you know, I think we really need to all take a good look at how time is being spent, you know, as adults, as children, as adolescents, as young adults, because we tend to fill up space and time with stuff that going back to your idea of intentionality is that we're not really being intentional about how we're using this incredible blessed life that we have, right? We're here on this planet with incredible resources. Some would argue more than ever at any point in history and time. Not for everybody, but yes, uh, collectively. I, I yeah. mean, it exists is what I'm saying. Not right. that everybody has access That's to it, but to that it, it exists, mm -hmm. right? It's mm -hmm. here and it's available at some capacity in some way, right? I, you know, I know a lot of people who have better technology than I do. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, and it's it's very interesting to think about this interplay of, of how we're choosing, how we're prioritizing to use our time. And I always say we can't manage time, even though that is, you know, people have a tendency to talk about executive function in terms of time management. We can't manage it, can't mm -hmm. make more of it. Mm -hmm. We can't manipulate it. We can't redistribute it, mm -hmm. uh, though sometimes I think I can. Um, but we can prioritize it and we can prioritize how we use it. And, and it's a constant struggle, right? I'm not saying that there is no perfect equation to be able to do that. But we need to be more mindful and intentional about how we're using it and, and also recognizing the emotionality behind it and being compassionate for ourselves and others as we're prioritizing how we're spending time. You know, some people have limitations that, you know, a caregiver or an adult can't always be with a child. Mm -hmm. So, you know, they have access to technology, which is a really great way sometimes to regulate a kid. But we also want to develop these self-regulatory skills for individuals, especially children, adolescents, and young adults. I say that we're actually um, at a self-regulatory deficit right now. And those who are able to activate self-regulatory skills kind of on command are actually working at a premium because they are bringing to their classrooms to work in an incredible skill that not everybody has been able to develop because, you know, we all go back to our iPhones or, you know, our technology because it's a safe space that feels comfortable mm -hmm. and it makes you feel like you're connected, even though you're not really. And sometimes it's bringing about more negative outcomes than 
it's helping. But, you know, we need to be more intentional about how we're using space and time because I think that's a really important piece of, you know, understanding what excellence means for us. Sometimes it does mean resting, but can we do more intentional rest? I talk about this all the time with my clients. Can you, what is intentional rest for you? Is it picking up an instrument and just kind of like noodling around without the expectation you're going to play the best version of a song you've ever played? Mm -hmm. Does it mean just going outside and going for a walk, laying on the grass, just looking up at the sky? You, you know, have a really cool, whatever uh, it is. You have a really cool image in your uh, office. It says 50 ways to take a break. And yeah. whoever did the artist work is really great. Yeah, I love um, that one. It's just really cool. Um, you know, so there's a really good book, by the way, if you're, you know, it's called The Power of Full Engagement. Mm-hmm. And the idea basically is exactly what you're saying. You can't, you can't always manage time, but you can manage your energy. Mm. And we have different versions of energy, mm-hmm. physically, emotionally, spiritually, if people believe that, and, and other versions of your energy. So focus on managing energy. You have more control over that than time some ways. And the other point I want to come back to about self-regulation is let's, you know, let's not forget where self-regulation comes from. A lot of times it comes from relationships. Mm. It comes from having that person you can go to talk through things. Mm. You know, a lot of times in therapy, that is one of the biggest essence. It's the essence of what therapy is useful, how it's useful for a lot of, in a lot of ways. Obviously there's more to it than just listening and talking. And we got into that in the first episode of season one, but Certainly being self-regulated is having the space to process what you're feeling, what you're thinking, your relationships, your experiences, and to talk through it. And without that, it's unfortunate because a lot of people come and, you know, whatever is the reason that it's not happening in their life, you know, to, to have the space for, you know, 45 minutes, an hour of, of session to be able to talk through things is so valuable, especially nowadays, as you're saying, because the technology pulls us away from truly communicating in a way and again, it's not technology. It's like, let's talk mm-hmm. in a free-flowing, dynamic way. We can really make sense and understand things. And it's an art. And it, it, I think generally it's hard for people to do that on both ends. You know, I have to train myself to be a good listener. Mm-hmm. It doesn't just like happen out of nowhere. I think hopefully I can say I'm predisposed to being a bit better at it because of my personality. But like it takes training. It takes like practice. It takes learning and experiences. So you know, let's not forget about self-regulation, not just being like, you have to learn this skill. Mm-hmm. I'm going to teach you the skill to become more self-regulated. That is true. I just don't want us to all forget about how important it is to talk. And maybe one of the reasons we're having a hard time being self-regulated as a society is because we're losing the ability to talk, to process, mm. to connect, to feel, right? Yeah, it's such a good point. To even feel like, you know, I went through this hard time. I just have to be able to to go through the feelings with somebody else listening. Yeah, I will I will say that sometimes in those moments I'm I'm such a helper and problem solver and my brain works really quickly that sometimes I jump in those moments to try to problem solve for people mm-hmm. and I'm super intentional about pressing pause for myself and saying we just need to sit here in this moment. Because this stinks. Like, this is really challenging for you. Mm-hmm. You know, I said it just before with with one of my best friends. You know, you're going through this really hard moment. I'm thinking about all the possibilities. But maybe that's not what you need right now. Maybe we just need to sit in the suck. Like, this sucks right now. <laughs> and we need to just, like, live it for a moment. And to make sense of it. And make sense of it. And that's okay. Yes. 
And, and it's also true to be resilient, right? Like yeah. both things are true. Totally. I think I think we kind of get in parents and teachers and the society, we can get pulled into this dichotomy. Like, are we overly emotional mm-hmm. or are we overly telling people to pull themselves up by their bootstraps? Mm-hmm. I, I think it could be both. Both can be true, right? You I know, agree. DBT says two things could be true at the same time. The dialectic there, I think both are equally important. And it's just, it's hard though. It's hard to find that balance and that nuance, but you know, that's things that are easy in life, you know, things that are hard in life, that, that's sometimes how the best things come from. So let, let's try to work on that, you know, absolutely. Collectively. Well, I think the other piece too, you know, you, you mentioned that you train yourself to be a good listener. And I think that is definitely a big piece of it. But the other piece too, is being in a place to be a good listener. There's this idea of co-regulation that I think a lot of us forget about, that when we're regulating ourselves, we can be more present for those that we're with. And, you know, I hear this all the time from the people I work with, not just young people, you know, people across the lifespan who say sometimes just talking with you and being in your presence is helpful for me. Mm. You know, I think in a lot of people who are caregivers, educators, therapists, coaches, Mm -hmm. being able to take care of ourselves in a way to show up and be present for another. and, And I think that's the big piece that sometimes is missing. And I think the busyness and the overstructured piece and not prioritizing and intentionalizing our time, sometimes the awareness piece of what helps and what doesn't gets lost. Mm -hmm. And I think that we need to be very intentional for ourselves as people in the worlds of others, (laughs) just pretty much anybody in the world, Um, even if you're not an educator or therapist or coach um, or parent, we need to be aware of what helps us to find some place of regulation Mm -hmm. that we can even show up and be present, Mm -hmm. right? Can we have some awareness? I mean, this is a big part of my um, meditation and mindfulness practice is, you know, just quieting yourself enough so that you can show up and not just have the noisiness Mm -hmm. of my mind working in the background all the time Mm -hmm. because our minds are constantly going. Sometimes it's louder than others. Sometimes it's more organized than other times. But how do we actually find a way to quiet ourselves enough so that we can be open to what's happening in the person's life that's right in front of us? And for young people, this is most especially most important. There's so much research that shows if you're an adult in a young person's life, if a young person, regardless of the adverse impacts of their environment in their life, if they have one consistent positive, supportive adult in their life, Mm -hmm. it can change the trajectory of their developmental outcomes. And it's amazing. It's one of the most consistent findings, right? And and theoretically, it makes sense. And for all the reasons that we're talking about, um, and the quality of life certainly improves when you got that one emotional support person. And I will say for adults too, it feels the same way, right? You know, you know, we have family members that are really helpful for us. We have great friends that you can always go back to. And and whether or not you connect with them frequently or not, because life is so busy, just knowing you have them and you can count on them brings us back to this idea of safety and connection mm-hmm. and, you know, feeling stable and steady, mm-hmm. even mm-hmm. amidst, you know, the turbulence of life. Totally. And so let, let's go into, you know, we've been talking about a lot of, about relationships and emotions. Let's talk about growth as another area. Um, of, you know, let's expand the idea of what it means to be happy. Growth, growth could be self-awareness. You know, let's not underestimate how important and how valuable self-awareness is. Mm. 
And it takes time. Like even, you know, in certain relationships, you may not be able to talk through everything because you're not being totally honest. And again, I'll keep saying this in therapy. Like I tell people, say whatever you want to say. Like don't filter. It's This won't work if you're not going to, you know, be open and honest and Mm -hmm. help me to understand how I can help you to facilitate that um, so we can work together cohesively. But I always say that too. It's like, if you're going to not be honest with me or yourself, I mean, it, the only person that's going to impact is really you because mm-hmm. it's not going to help you to move forward. We have to be honest and vulnerable enough to see that there's areas to be developed. And, and that's okay. That's for all of us. Yeah. And where there's pain, where you know, it's hard to ex- express and acknowledge pain and areas that we feel like we're falling into traps. And mm-hmm. like, you know, um, it, it's not always evident what the growth is. Sometimes we can fixate on one thing and say like, uh, you know, I have this problem with, uh, you know, relying on substances or I have this problem with uh, thinking poorly of myself. That all, that may be very true. It's sometimes, you know, when I keep exploring, I can find, wait, there, there's actually something else that you're avoiding. And mm-hmm. those are symptoms of what you've been avoiding. And it could be that you're just afraid to do something that you feel like you need to do. Mm. It could be what we talked about, opening up to someone, or it could be trying something like a career move or um, trying something that you really want to try and, and, yeah. and avoiding that thing because you're afraid and you can't work through that fear is leading to these other symptoms. So so, so clarifying self-awareness is important in therapy. Well, I think that's, I, I was so grateful for so many people this season to admit like, I didn't really know what I was doing or I didn't feel masterful in my skills yet when I started. Mm-hmm. And sometimes you have to take that leap mm-hmm. and and have faith and confidence that it might work out, mm-hmm. right? And if it doesn't, that there's other options and other pathways that you can explore most of the time. So, you know, getting to that point where you can feel like you have skills, but, you know, like we talked about in the perfectionistic episode, that sometimes when there is a fear, when there's a lack of skill, when there's not this awareness of self, sometimes we put ourselves in these situations that tend to knock us down or, or feel more magnified mm-hmm. in in what feels like an experience of failure. Totally. And and Chiksek Mahai in his flow book, he he points this out and I, I made a I highlighted this part. He said, self reflection is not easy, especially when we're upset. Mm. Because when we're upset, our mind is biased towards the negative. You know, there's plenty of studies on that. When you're in a negative mood, you're more likely to think negative thoughts. You're more likely to perceive things in a negative light. It's uh, emotion-driven. You know, that's why a lot of the work that is done at a card, um, you know, Dr. David Barlow developed this. I, you know, it's it's based on a lot of research and other people's work and his work. But the idea is that you know, understand how your emotions affect your thinking as much as your thinking affects your your feelings. Yeah. And so self-reflection is not easy because we can ruminate. We can just kind of fall into these repetitive cycles of thinking bad about ourselves. And and self-reflection takes time. That's why, again, therapy or relationships or journaling and shifting the context of how you're reflecting helps you to see things from a different light, a different perspective that helps you to think a bit more critically about what's happening and maybe helps you to express your feelings rather than suppress them and helps you to... Um, you know, expand the way you're thinking. And I thought that was just such a wise statement, that self-reflection, it seems like an easy thing. Mm-hmm. It's almost like, you know, they say mindfulness is simple, but it's so hard. <laughs> <laughs> you know, self-reflection is like that sometimes too. Yeah, I say that, you know, mindfulness and meditation is probably the hardest thing I ever do. <laughs> totally. 
Uh, and, and going back, you know, CARD is the Center for Anxiety-Related Disorders at Boston University where you did a lot of your training. Mm-hmm. And I think there's a, a lot of great work that comes out of there and, and other institutions too that have guided our approach to the work that we do. But, you know, we need to really recognize how our thoughts, how our mind, how our emotions dictate so much of what happens. But But not to fall into this trap of positive or negative, good or bad, but, mm-hmm. but really experiencing them. And what I think one of the biggest takeaways from what we're talking about here today is, can we sit with it to understand what messages these emotions are telling us mm-hmm. to be able to determine, you know, what skills do I need to develop? What path should I try mm-hmm. to walk down? What resources or supports can I reach out to? And, you know, you mentioned therapy is a good opportunity to do this work, but, you know, as we're closing this episode, I also want to offer for our listeners to do the things we talked about, right? Can you write down a list of what your expectations are for yourself? Can you write down like, what do you really want from life? And how are your values, the things you care most about driving those expectations? Mm -hmm. And then also think about, you know, what are some of the skills that you feel really strong in that are going to be maybe your your anchors to keep you steady when you're trying and challenging yourself to do new things. Mm-hmm. But also recognizing and being aware of the things that maybe don't always work out so well or feel a little bit weaker or that they're still developing as skill sets. Um, because, you know, not one of us has a complete set of skills, even as adults, even as trained adults in the world as you and I are, but really thinking about, you know, what are those things that we struggle with and and what are those masks and those things that we tend to do that cover up those struggles, whether it's, you know, some, we use technology to avoid them. We might use substances to avoid them. We might use, you know, charisma and comedy sometimes to avoid them. Yeah. Like what are the things that we're doing that is maybe preventing us from experiencing that sense of fulfillment or joy? Authenticity too. Yeah. Oh, the authenticity too. Piece. For sure. Yeah. I mean, to feel good about yourself uh, on a fundamental level is one of the hardest things people can do in their life. And it takes time, you know, to really feel good about yourself. You got to understand yourself, you you know, uh, and, and think about all the things we've been talking about. There's, there's plenty more. I'm not going to get into all of it, but um, you know, and, and so focusing again on growth and meaning in your life, you can think of each segment or phase as, um, meaning something that you want it to mean, right? If you have gone through a segment of your life where maybe you had something and you lost it, you're going to feel sad. And as you said, our emotions are telling us something. We lost something that's important to us. And, and that's important to pay attention to. It means you might need something to replace that with. So as you mourn the loss of something, because both things are equally important, mourn the loss, go through the feelings, and then decide what to do next. It could be that you figure out what this time of your life is about, you know, and you can figure out, hey, maybe this is the time of life I'm going to experience uh, music, you know, and I have the, the, the resources mentally and uh, with perhaps a bit more time because I lost something that fulfilled my time. I'm going to pour into music because that's important to me and now's the time to do it. And maybe another segment of your time, maybe you have kids and, you know, that time of your life is about fostering your family and maybe you lose, you know, going out, having fun with friends as much as you did because your new priority is your family. And maybe you learn 
ways to create meaning around that that is important to you and you find fulfillment in different ways. Um, but if you don't shift that and you don't kind of mourn the, the changes and the loss, you can become, you know, um, you can feel stressed, conflicted, resentful and, and have a hard time, you know, coming to terms with changes. But again, like so much of uh, going through life is changes are inevitable and to mourn the changes and the losses and then the shift into what next and, and how to create meaning and to fulfill it in different ways is, is an art form. It takes time and it may not be evident how to do that. I don't expect to know when I'm working with people what that will be. That's an, uh, uh, it takes exploration to figure out what that's going to be. That's going to be fulfilling and meaningful and make sense to them. The last thing I want to say too, um, this is going to kind of round out you know, we're talking about what an individual can do to expand happiness in their life. Let's also think about ways that coaches, teachers, parents, adults, mentors, people who, you know, run programs, after school programs, or whatever it is, you know, think of ways to enhance different aspects of happiness. Because as much as your job, let's say as a coach is to get the best out of your players to be good, you know, People can become burnt out. And I've seen that in sports, right? If you're not really enjoying uh, to some degree, whether it's you know the environment, the relationships, the meaning, the purpose, the autonomy, the, uh, the, the feelings and the growth, like if it's not, if you're not uh, feeling it, right? You may get burnt out and you, you may lose joy and you may lose motivation to continue. So remember how different things can affect the individual you're working with and to try to embrace different ways of enhancing that. And look, there's, it's hard, like being a teacher, being a coach, being a parent, these are hard jobs, mm -hmm. especially when you have multiple people you're responsible for. It's hard to figure that out for each individual or for the collective. It's not easy, but, um, you know, we're just saying, remember the importance of that because it's more than just improving. It's more than just, you know, getting the best or trying to, you know, mold, you know, a child or a person into what you want them to become. It's like, it's the experience, it's the journey, it's the joy, it's the meaning, it's the engagement, the flow, it's the sense of security. It's a process. And, and going back to the movie reference of Champions, Woody Harrelson changed his relationship with what he found and thought was happiness for him. Mm -hmm. He realized that happiness was right in front of him. Mm -hmm. It was a part of what he was doing without chasing after anything. And sometimes when we're in the moment, when we're aware, when we're present, when we feel like we have a sense of self that makes sense and feels comfortable, mm -hmm. that's when we can experience joy and happiness. And we, off we offer and hope that you all find a point in your day where you can sit back and just appreciate like, yeah, I'm okay. And that's a good feeling. Definitely. And um, it's a process. We're all trying to figure this out, right? If there was like an A plus B equals C to happiness in life, um, you know, you can be sure that someone would try to sell it. Yeah, <laughs> And that hasn't worked. No. <laughs> that no. hasn't worked. As much as they try to market it, it hasn't worked. Um, every day, every experience, every context can present a, a set of different variables that we need to work with. And being aware and, and being open to being flexible is, I think, where it's all about. Thanks for tuning in to the Read Connected podcast. Please remember that this is a podcast intended to educate and share ideas, but it is not a substitute for professional care that may be beneficial to you at different points of your life. 
If you are in need of support, please contact your primary care physician, local hospital, educational institution, or support staff at your place of employment to seek out referrals for what may be most helpful for you. Ideas shared here have been shaped by many years of training, incredible mentors, research, theory, evidence-based practices, and our work with individuals over the years, but it's not intended to represent opinions of those we work with or who we are affiliated with. The Reconnected podcast is hosted by siblings Alexis Reed and Dr. Gerald Reed. Original music is written and recorded by Gerald Reed. Editing and recording was done by Cybersound Studios. If you want to follow along on this journey with us, the Reconnected podcast will be releasing new episodes every two weeks each season. So please subscribe for updates and notifications. Feel free to also follow us on Instagram at Podcast. That's Read Connect Ed Podcast and Twitter at Read Connect Ed. We are grateful for you joining us and look forward to future episodes. In the meanwhile, be curious, be open, and be well. Mm-hmm.